if you're new here with us today, I'm Mike, uh, one of the pastors here this morning. And if, uh, again, if you're new, there's a Blue Connection card in your program that you can just fill out through the main of the service and slip into uh, the offering bag as it goes by later. So, in honor of Mother's Day, we're closing out our Hope That Heals series with the issue of anger. I don't know. Just happened to be <laughs> that way. Um, so, I probably will talk about my mom a little later in the sermon. Um, so, mom, if you're listening to this audio, I think dad's calling you. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, uh, yeah, anger, um, I was saying this to a group earlier. It feels like, so we, we went through the series, we, we walked through depression, anxiety, um, grief, mourning, loss, fear, and then today we're talking about anger, and to me, anger seems like the outlier. It's like, if you said, which one of these is not like the other, you would say, uh, maybe anger. Um, uh, but at the same time, um, we've all experienced it. You know, when we talk about depression, maybe, maybe uh, many of you hadn't really realized uh, depression in your life before, but if I say, how many of you guys have been angry before, um, all of you guys would raise your hands. Yeah, you can put your hand down. <laughs> um, like, all of you guys would actually raise your hands because we've all experienced it. Um, whether you have an issue with it, maybe, maybe another story. So, I'm gonna, let's just start. I'm gonna show this video. This is from the movie Anger Management. Um, it's an older, older comedy with Adam Sandler and Jack Nicholson. Yeah, just take can a look. I get a heads in? Certainly. Thank you. Uh, miss? I'll be right there, sir. Where's your headset? She's busy right now, but it's coming. For crying out loud, you're missing important plot points. Ma'am? Could you give me a second, sir? Maybe get that headset, please. Do not raise your voice to me, sir. I wasn't raising my voice. Okay, just calm down. I am calm. I just want my headset. Sir, our country is going through a very difficult time right now, and if you're not going to cooperate... Oh, no, I'm going to cooperate. My plan is to get the headset from you, watch the movie, and laugh in a very cooperative way. Is there a problem here, sir? I, I don't think so. Can you come to the back of the plane with me so we can have a talk? Talk about what? There's not a problem. The flight attendant keeps ignoring me when I ask. Calm him. down. I am calm. What is it with you people? You people. Oh, now wait a minute. I don't mean you people. I mean you people. Sir, I will not tolerate any racist behavior on the plane. This is a very difficult time for our country. I, I know that. I'm not a racist. I just want to watch the movie. I'm only going to say this one more time, sir. Calm down. I'm calm! <laughs> I've actually never seen the whole movie, but I remember this from the preview. And um, for some of you, maybe you're like Adam Sandler. Anger makes you uncomfortable. So he's very passive-aggressive, right? He's, he's um, you know, can I please maybe perhaps get that headset now? Although, underneath he's like, I want that headset because I'm missing 
this, this steam room session in the movie. Um, or some of you might be more like Jack Nicholson, where he's like, you know, we need to take action. Where's that headset? You need to get that headset. Let's take care of this right now. Um, and, and anger kind of uh, urges you that way. Um, some of you might be like the flight attendant, where anger actually distorts reality. She's like, hey, he's very calm, right? I mean, Adam Sandler wasn't, he didn't go up another level at that point. And she's like, just calm down. And she has this different picture of reality because of, you know, she's upset over the situation. And then the air marshal, he comes in. And some of you guys, when you're angry, might overreact like that. If you had a taser, you'd probably just tase some people. Um, so how many of you guys, over, um, don't raise your hands, but how many of you guys would overreact? Um, I know that uh, wherever you are on that spectrum, anger is still an issue. Uh, for me, I have a tendency to like, overreact. Um, but the question that you might be having, a lot of people have, is, well, is, is anger a sin? Should we consider anger a sin? And the answer is, well, it depends. Um, it's probably not the answer you're looking for. But uh, in one sense, no. Okay, anger is not a sin. Um, I should say the feeling of anger or the emotion of anger is not a sin. Okay? Um, because sometimes something happens that makes us feel angry or emote anger. Um, and that's okay. That's not sinful yet. It's when we pair the will with the emotion and we act on the emotion that determines whether it's sinful or wrong or not. Okay? So it's when we act either in righteousness or unrighteousness, either in, in good ways or bad ways, that our anger will manifest itself uh, as a sin. Uh, take, take a look at this quote. It's from a guy named Peter Kreeft. He's a uh, philosopher, professor at Boston College, theologian. He says, The will can command an emotion to rise, to flourish, or to cease. And whenever we will anything, we're responsible for it. The commonest way in which the will comes in to make an emotion sinful or virtuous is by consent. So if anger comes up, and we consent to it, he's saying, which is basically the will's approval or go-ahead to an emotion. When the emotion ought to be opposed and isn't, the will sins. For instance, if we ought not to be as angry as we are towards someone, yet we continue to will that anger, we sin. What makes the emotion of anger into the sin of anger are two things. First, there must be the involvement of the will. Second, the anger must be inordinate, that is, wrong, irrational, too strong for the occasion or the person we're angry at. So he says two things make anger a sin. It's the involvement of the will, and then when that anger is way overboard, when it's inordinate, when it's not deserved, when it's irrational, when it's wrong, when it's too strong. So... And then Crave goes on to say that there's four levels of anger, which I also think I have. Um, there's four levels of anger. He says, one, the emotion itself. So just the temper, just your temper, however it is. And I don't mean temper, I should say your temperament. So 
not um, your anger temper, but just your temperament. So the emotion itself, the temper, that's the first level. The second level is when the emotion is rightly regulated or directed towards justice and correction, okay? And that's, that's okay. So you see, you see someone getting uh, mugged on the street and you're angry about it and you, and you want to do something about it. That's okay. We're, we're still in a realm of, of um, holy, righteous anger, okay? The third step is overstepping the bounds of right reason, which is fueled by the desire to punish someone undeservingly. So you see someone on the street, you stop it, and then you beat that person to death. That would be um, overstepping the bounds of right reason um, because all he was doing was stealing someone's wallet. Um, I say all he was doing. I mean, of course, that's, that's, not, that's bad. Uh, <laughs> but the, the punishment isn't commensurate with, with the action. So, and then the fourth thing is where that stage, so a lot of times we stop, we stop right there. We see that and we're like, oh, that's, that's really bad. But the fourth stage, he says, is where anger turns to hatred of God or neighbor. And this might not look like something on the exterior. It might be something that's more on the interior. So anger is okay at first when it's just an emotion. And then when it's rightly directed towards justice and correction, but then when it oversteps this line and is fueled by a desire to punish someone undeservingly, that's when we've crossed that line. And then that roots itself and begins to uh, just birth hatred in our soul. And, and, that's the, and that's the end game of anger. That's how the enemy uses anger um, to, to uh, distort reality, to help us, to make us overreact, uh, all, all these things. So I, I already shared that one of, one of the biggest emotions I struggle with is, is anger. Um, now that might come to shock to a lot of you guys because you're like, oh, he's always smiling, he's, he's happy, um, uh, you know, things like that. But um, if you're like super close to me, then you would see it. Um, so it and it's it's this emotion that um, I get for for you guys. It would take a lot for you guys to make me angry. Um, but for some reason, uh, sometimes it's just like boom. I mean, just zero to sixty and no time flat. Zero to hundred, no time flat. Um, a lot of times this comes out when driving. Um, <laughs> which isn't abnormal in this city, okay? Um, so, started this week knowing I had to preach on anger today, and Sunday, last Sunday was amazing. For those of you guys who experienced last Sunday with us, um, Sunday evening, or Sunday morning and Sunday evening was, was just phenomenal um, with the service and then just the afternoon and then the prayer time we had as a church together. Uh, so Monday, I wake up and I, all of a sudden I feel this like brooding cloud of anger over me. And I can feel like it's that, it's that tangible in my life. Like I can feel it when it's there. And then um, the morning was fine. I um, actually hung out with Gable and morning was great. And then the afternoon it was like pff, downhill. Um, I was driving Emerson home from school and I almost got hit in my car four different times and I was like come on <laughs> like what is this and immediately I knew that the enemy was trying to strip 
joy in preparing the sermon and trying to say, like, you don't deserve to be talking about this, this topic. And so um, the problem with anger is, uh, for me, is when, when I get angry, it takes me a long time to get unangry, to just simmer down. And so, um, and that ends up affecting the attitudes of those around me. So, you might be like that. Uh, I don't know. Or you might be more like Adam Sandler, where you're, you're a little more passive-aggressive. You kind of put things under the surface, and you hold those in your heart. And, um, you know, even when you're angry, say you're angry at your spouse, even when you're angry at your spouse, you put a smile on, and you, you, say, you say things. But uh, they know they know, like, you're angry, but you don't actually really show it. Because um, we, what we tend to do is we tend to mask anger, right? Even if, you're, uh, even if you wear anger on your sleeve, you still tend to mask it. Um, problem is, take your regular face and put a mask on it. People know you're wearing a mask. So when we try to mask our anger, people still know there's something wrong with us. Um, so really our masking isn't doing, doing a whole lot. So... How do we, how do we uh, combat anger? How do we control anger? Um, we can only control anger with meekness. So the presence of meekness in our life, in your life, in my life, is what controls anger. And then the presence of peace in your life is what's going to displace anger. And we're going to see that as we walk through Psalm 37 this morning. So... Teresa, I'm going to walk through this psalm throughout the sermon just as we go. Um, so this psalm is, is as all psalms, it's, it's poetry. So um, you actually interpret poetry a different way. You read it a certain way. It's like when you're in high school and you went through like poetry. Like we, none of us understood it. Um, the psalms are kind of like that. You're, you're kind of like, okay, what's he trying to say here? Um, this psalm in particular is, is um, put in couplets. So we're going to walk through the psalm in pairs, um, and the couplets go together. And it's, it's written in a way that is, um, that's conveying wisdom. This is one of the wisdom psalms. So it's actually not saying anything uh, to God in this psalm. It actually speaks to us. So a lot of the psalms, the psalm I, I talked to last week, it was kind of both. He spoke to us or himself, and then he spoke to God. This one is, is just speaking to us. So it's almost like a, a parent talking to his child or a student or a teacher talking to students uh, is how the psalmist is writing this. So let's, let's just look at the first couplet. So he says here, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade away like the grass and wither like the herb. Fret not yourself there. Um, If that was literally translated, it would mean don't don't get heated up. Don't let something kindle in your soul. That's a really adequate description of what anger does to us, isn't it? It's like this this kindling that starts. It's this emotion that's just a little spark, and then... We can either choose to blow on that fire, you know, add some more wood, or we can choose to let it die out. Um, And that's where the level one is. Most of the times, um, sometimes we can go to level two and try to correct uh, an injustice. Um, We would kindle that spark a little bit. But most of the times, instead of like just, just putting a little bit on the fire, we're like, hey, give me that tree over there. And then we like throw the whole log on there, and then we got this bonfire going on in our heart, and it's out of control. And then next thing you know, it's this wildfire. And 
you're not the only one who can put it out. And we got to get in the firefighters and we got to get other people to help. But then you don't want people to help and it's just going crazy. So this is a really adequate description of what anger does in us. He says, fret not yourself. Don't get heated. It's like a fire. And then he says in verse 2, he says, look ahead. He says, have an eternal perspective because what you're mad at is actually probably nothing eternal. It's probably very temporal and it's soon going to fade out. It's soon going to fade away. He says, well, a lot of times we're envious of wrongdoers, but let's, let's just let, let that fade away. And he says, this is, well, before I go there, let me just talk about this for a second. Um, let me just ask you these questions. So what, what makes you angry? Like what starts a spark in your heart? Just think about that. You don't have to shout anything out. Or why are you angry? You know, you may have things that make you angry, like when someone cuts you off on the road, when someone gets pa- when you get passed up for a promotion that you think you deserve, what, you know, when someone punches you in the face. Um, or why are you angry is a different question. Like, why are you angry? Um, that may be, uh, I don't know. You might not know. Um, uh, or it may be, well, I lost someone years ago. Um, or I'm just not happy. Or there may not be a, a particular thing. And I'm not condemning you or judging you, remember, for experiencing anger, because it's an emotion we all experience. Um, but there is a difference between experiencing anger and an instance of anger and then living in anger. Okay? There's a difference between having this experience of anger and then living in anger. There's a difference between having anger that's here and then gone, so fleeting anger, and then anger that's foundational to how you operate in life. Okay, um, you know, and that might be towards a person, a relationship, an institution. Uh, this quote is from a lady named Jan Richardson. She's a United Methodist minister, author, blogger. She says, as with any emotion, anger can be a map. Within the landscape of our life, the presence of anger reveals where our passions lie, whom we love, what we consider important. Anger shows us where we're vulnerable where there are cracks or wounds in our soul, where there is brokenness within us, around us. If we pay attention to what anger reveals about the terrain of our soul, it can help us find and create the path ahead. Anger is also a messenger. It always has something to tell us about who we are. Do you guys ask that question when you're angry? Like, Why am I angry? What just made me angry and what does that say about me? She goes on and says, it also tells us, about how we are connected with those around us. This is a part of why anger can be so difficult and complicated. It reminds us what matters to us because we rarely become angry about something or someone we don't care about. So go back to that question, what makes you angry? How about we ask this question, what makes, what makes God angry? What makes Jesus angry? Because Jesus... Uh, experiences this emotion. We see throughout the scriptures that God has this emotion. God has a myriad of emotions, and one of them is anger and wrath. Um, it sounds, and for, for some of you guys, that might sound a little blasphemous to say, well, God's experiencing the, the, the um, emotion of ang- anger. But we have to separate it from us. So let's, let's call God, let's say it's wrath, and we'll call us anger just to have a distinction there. Because there is a distinction. Um, our anger is just, it's but a shadow of what God's wrath is. Um, we, 
we can have healthy anger, but oftentimes, if you look at your lives, you really don't have healthy anger um, because it's difficult for us to because we're throwing so many logs on the fire. Um, God's anger is holy. It's righteous wrath. Um, and our anger is we, we experience this because, because we're made in the image of God, and he has this, but he always has it for justice and the correct injustice. Okay, um, and we'll get we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. Uh, when I was 16, I just got my license, and this was around Thanksgiving. Um, and I was driving with my mom. We were going to pick up some seafood um, for Thanksgiving, which I, my mom we never had traditional Thanksgiving in my house. We did sometimes, but we had like a seafood feast this year. So. We, we sit around the table, or, or we go to get seafood, and um, I'm driving. So I was 16, I'm like, I want to drive, whatever. Um, so I'm my mom, and, <laughs> and uh, I'm backing out of this parking spot, and there's this big SUV next to me, so I can't really see if anyone's coming. So I'm barking out, back, backing out of this parking spot, and I got my hand around my mom's seat, and I'm facing this way, right? Um, so my, she's right here. My, my mouth is like right by her head. And um, there's this guy who comes speeding through the parking lot, and he sees me pulling out, and he just slams on his brake, and I was halfway out, um, and he slams on his horn, and (laughs) I have no idea why I said this. I said, what the F? (laughs) Right in my mom's ear hole, (laughs) like right there. And I was a strong believer, so, um, and I don't have like, uh, like, I have no idea why that came out. Um, I didn't, normally that was part of my vocabulary. It wasn't because I was, actually before I became a believer, I chose not to have that part of my vocabulary because I thought it, um, I won't say. Uh, I just didn't think it sounded intelligent. So I was like, I'm going to take that out of my vocabulary. Um, and then uh, I wanted to honor my parents, and they didn't want me talking like that. So... Um, then when we became a believer, I was like, oh, well, yeah, why would I have that language? So I have no idea why I just dropped the F-bomb on my mom right there. My mom normally would have pulled my ear off of my head and um, like yelled at me right there. Um, but she didn't react at all. And there's no way she didn't hear me. <laughs> there's no way. Because like, I yelled it. And then just backed up and sped off. And it was like a, a 20, 25-minute drive home. And it was silent the whole time. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? My dad's going to kill me. And she's going to tell my dad this is what's happening. She's going to tell my dad. My dad's going to kill me. And this is the day before Thanksgiving. Um, no one said anything. It wasn't until all Thanksgiving went by. The whole next day, we're sitting around the table my mom's like, and we're having a good time. I kind of forgotten about it. We're having a good time. And my mom was like, hey, um, why don't you tell your dad about our trip to the market yesterday? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you know, we got some seafood. And it was cool. And then we <laughs> came home. <laughs> she's like, but what happened after? <laughs> and she's kind of prodding me and prodding me. And, and then I, I just confessed and it was like I didn't have to confess like everyone knew 
Um, I, I confessed. I apologized. I was like, I don't know where that came from. I was like, I reassured them. I was like, I don't talk like that. I don't know why, where that came from. And they all were laughing. My sister, my, my parents, they all started laughing. And then that was it. Um, her reaction is how God's wrath and anger is towards us. It's very patient. Our anger is a lot of times the complete opposite. It's very, I want action now, and it's very impulsive, and we want to just um, take action and do things and make it right. But God in his wrath is very patient. Like He's been waiting for you to come to him. He hasn't sought you out and made your life horrible so that you could come to him. He's just waiting there for you with open arms to come to him. And you've messed up so much in your life. I've messed up so much in my life. And God could have struck me down at any moment, but that's not the God we serve. The God we serve has wrath, but it's a wrath that is um, couched in patient love. And my mom showed that to me. Um, Just that one time. The other times, she was more like (laughs) regular mom. (laughs) I love you, mom. So, all right, let's go to the second couplet. We're going to roll through the next few. So, second couplet, verses 3 through 4. says, trust in the Lord, do good. And what's, what's amazing here, he says, do good. Jesus takes this and he says, well, actually, the entire scriptures do, because it's before, before Jesus, uh, even in the Proverbs. It takes this do good, and it says, even do good to those who hate you. Even do good to your enemies. Even do good to those who would, would seek to hurt you. So he says, trust in the Lord, do good. Excuse me. Dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness. What are you befriending? He says, befriend faithfulness here. It's kind of a really peculiar language. Um, What's your friend? Is anger your friend? What, What does that look like? And then he says, delight yourself in God. Take great pleasure in him. Put your desires in him. And he'll give you your desires. Next couplet, five and six. He says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. And this is how he'll act, verse six. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Okay? Um, Isn't it so much better when somebody else says, Hey, did you see what did you see what Mike did? That was very humble and honorable of him. Uh, rather than me coming up and saying, "Hey, you guys, did you see what I did?" That was very humble and honorable of me. <laughs> Look at my righteousness. Um, <laughs> and he also says that, and he says God's going to do that for you. So often we think in our anger we're justified because we are putting forth our righteousness and we deserve something, right? There's different roots to anger. There's uh, pride, there's injustice, um, there's, uh, I have these written down somewhere, Um, abuse, past hurts. Like all these are roots of anger, impatience, jealousy, unmet desires. And so often we think we deserve something uh, that we don't yet. Um, and so this, 
the psalmist is saying here that God's going to show them your righteousness. You don't have to do it yourself. And he says, your justice will be as the noonday. It will be when the greatest point of light is in the sky so that everybody can see, then he will exact your justice. He doesn't say his justice. He says it's yours. Yes, you deserve justice. Yes, you are righteous and you deserve that. Um, And he says he will show them that. So in the same way, I think we oftentimes feel like we have to rectify things. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we do. Um, But uh, sometimes we rectify things and we're, we're afraid of it being an issue of pride. Um, and we don't, we don't want to point it out, right? And again, it's so much better when someone says, hey, man, it was awesome when um, I saw Daniel beating up that guy who was stealing that guy's wallet. Oh, <laughs> uh, not really. But, um, you know, and, and someone else recognizes the justice that took place, okay, or, or your righteousness. And God does both of those things. Let's look at verse 7. This is the fourth couplet. He says, be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him. And again, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil desires. Be still here is literally be silent. Um, Many times that's the opposite of what we do when we're angry. Um, For some of you, that's exactly what you do when you're angry. You just are silent. Um, But he says here, be silent be still before the Lord. So how many of you guys, if you are silent in your anger, are silent before the Lord? Or are you silent before your pride, your impatience, or your jealousy? Let's look at the fifth couplet. Eight through nine, refrain from anger, forsake wrath. When he says refrain here, he means let go of it, release it. When he says forsake, he means abandon it. And leave it. This is very powerful language that he used here. He says, again, fret not yourself because it tends only to evil. He says, release it, let go of it, abandon it. Many times we think anger has a hold of us. Like, oh, I'm so angry and angry, anger has a hold of me. But actually, we're the ones holding on to the anger. And he's saying, just let go of it. You don't have to be angry anymore. Just release it. Just forsake it. Instead, we're holding on to it. Some of you guys are dwelling with it. I guess become your roommate. For how many of you is that the case? Where anger is something you hold on to. Where anger is actually something that, like Ecclesiastes says, lodges in your soul. It's actually become a living partner with you. And this may be, again, this may be from a past hurt, a relationship, an abuse, injustice, or it may just be from pride, jealousy, envy. And some of those things, like, you are justified in experiencing anger over, but you are never justified in dwelling in anger over. And that's the difference. We think sometimes we're so justified in our anger. And yes, you might be. But it does you no good and others around you no good to live and dwell and lodge with that anger. 
Jesus says here, as the author of the word, refrain from it, forsake it, let go of it. And he says, if you do that, in verse 9, you will inherit the land. The land in the Old Testament represents God's presence. He says, instead of anger being your presence that you're lodging in, I will be that for you. I'll be the one who lodges with you. For me, anger is very cognitive. So over the past few months where I've been really wrestling with this, actually the beginning part of this year, for the first four months this year, this was a big, big thing for me. Um, And it was affecting everything. Uh, It was affecting my preaching. It was affecting my family. It was affecting how I discipled and ministered, how I spoke to people. Um, And I just tried to mask it. Um, But again, like, you can't mask that. So... Um, I was reading through the scriptures and the spirit just spoke to me through Deuteronomy 30 verse 11 um, through 15 where it just says choose life like life isn't far from you this isn't Moses says this isn't a tough command you have life and you have death and they're both there waiting for you to choose and actually as a son of God as a, as a daughter of God life is in you Death is far from us. That's the reality in which we live in. So choosing life for me as a son of God should be that much easier because it's right here. I have access to it. And so that was such a transformative verse for me. Just choose life. And it was just like this cognitive switch where um, it's just like, yeah, why am I angry? Like, I don't have to be. I don't want to be. All it does is breed... All it does is breed... um, evil. It tends to evil, as the psalmist says. So, choose life. Okay, last couplet. We're going to roll through this. It says, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you'll look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Again, he says, look ahead. He says it's an eternal perspective. And then he says this verse, that if, you, if, you're a, um, if you're a believer, this verse should sound familiar to you because Jesus uses it in his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he takes this verse, and it's one of the first things that he says as he's preaching the sermon, that the meek shall inherit the earth. And meekness, I think we think meekness is weakness a lot of times. Like we subconsciously make this rhyming association, so we think they're... They're synonyms, but they're not. Um, weakness is, is uh, lack of power, right? If I'm weak, I don't have power. I, I lack it. Um, meekness is uh, having the power to control power, okay? Um, meekness is the power to control power. That's why Jesus is the example of meekness, um, and the, the prime example of meekness. And, and it's using that power with, with gentleness. And we see, that, we see that in Jesus. A lot of times we think we have to exert power and influence and we have to be authoritarian. But he says, no, no, no. We need to lead in, in meekness with gentleness. And think about Jesus. Um, if you've read the Gospels, you, you see that Jesus isn't, He's not this, like, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, hippie surfer guy petting baby sheep that all these artists portray. 
Jesus is in your face. He's denouncing uh, the actions of the Pharisees. He's raising people from the dead. He is turning over tables. Um, He's casting out demons. Demons obey him. The wind and the waves obey him. He's rebuking his close friends. At one point in the Gospels, the devil flees from his presence. Like, that's Jesus. That's the power he has. He speaks more about hell in the scriptures than anybody in the whole Bible. And he says all this powerful energy, weeping, gnashing of teeth. Like, he, he talks about worms at one point. And, and, and Jesus is this, like, in-your-face type guy. So we're not talking about weakness here. But Jesus also epitomizes what it means to have meekness because of his great power, they crucified him. They spit in his face. They mocked him. They beat him. They took chunks of flesh out of his back. And in all of that, he had the power to destroy them. And they were doing a huge injustice to an innocent man. And instead, he asked the Father to forgive them. That's meekness. That's what controls anger in our lives. When we can have the power to forgive instead of the power to seek vengeance. Because God says, vengeance is mine, and I'll exact it for you, because I'm exacting it for me. Okay. So, yeah, you guys can come up. How do we discern, this is maybe the question you might be asking as we close, how do we discern if we should have been angry or not? Or if our anger is inordinate, wrong, irrational, or too strong? That may be the question you're asking, but it's the wrong question to ask. Um, Because that's the question of legalism and not the heart. Um, That's the question of, okay, was my anger wrong? So it's a question of like, that's like an exit poll. Well, we want to hit the, we want to hit the issue over here. So the question shouldn't be, when do I have just cause to be angry? It should be, what do I do when I experience anger? As I said, the presence of meekness in your life, it controls anger, it directs anger. But the presence of peace in your life is going to displace that anger. So two things. Cultivate meekness. The scriptures use a lot of language that talk about this. The spirit produces self-control in us. Be temperate. Be be disciplined. Be sober-minded. So cultivate meekness and pursue peace. Anger, Jesus talks about a little later in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, if you have anger with somebody else, or if you have anger in you or between others, then deal with it. Then deal with it. Take yourself before God. Deal with anger in your heart. Pursue peace. If I have anger between me and my brother, then I go and deal with it. Between me and my sister, I go and deal with it. Between me and someone else outside of the faith, then I go and deal with it as I pursue peace. Because all it's going to do is tend towards evil. And Romans 12 says to overcome evil with good. Not to overcome evil with evil, 
but to overcome evil with good. And that's why Ephesians 4 says, don't let the sun go down on your anger because the devil will get a foothold. And that's just a, a picture for us of just letting anger sleep in our hearts and in our souls and just dwell there. If God is going to bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday, then we need to refrain from anger. We need to let it go. We need to forsake wrath. We need to abandon it, leave it, cultivate meekness, and pursue peace. Let's pray.